Destructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. With me tonight is David Botkin. I'd asked David in a message via Facebook today to join us because I know that David has been a an amateur church security expert. Now, what I mean by amateur is not to impugn his ability; it's to it really suggests his motive. He doesn't do it for money; he does it for the for the love of it. <laughs> I've been to. Uh, the fellowship that David is de- your deacon at, at Christ the King in uh, Central Tennessee. And for those who want a secure worship and fellowship experience, I can recommend Christ the King. So I wanted to have David on uh, to to give some of his thoughts because I know that this is things that we've spoken of in passing and that he has uh, thought through the, the question of not only church security, but I think also preparedness in general. David, in the wake of uh, of the recent shooting, and, and, and if you would, if you care to refresh our listeners who perhaps like many of us have short attention spans, uh, you might want to remind people how many or how frequent these types of attacks on congregations really are mm-hmm. well that's actually it, that's an interesting point you know people have, have seen the shooting uh, there was a shooting on September 24th actually in the Nashville area where one person died uh, that was also a church uh, a lot of stuff doesn't really get reported very well and, and thankfully we don't have mass casualty incidents very often but um, deadly force incidents at churches are actually on the rise. There's a gentleman named Carl Chen, and uh, I think his website is carlchen.com, and he actually tracks uh, what he calls deadly force incidents at churches. And it's definitely trending upward significantly, maybe doubling over the space of 10 years uh, in, in frequency. And there's a bunch of different motivations that come into play for why you know, a deadly force incident happens at a church. Uh, but it's happening more often. And so events like happened last Sunday at Southern Springs, Texas, shouldn't surprise us and say something new is happening, but they should serve as a warning to us and a reminder that we are living in a time of judgment where our nation has really turned back on God. And so it really shouldn't be any surprise when you see people that are just um, very unrestrained and very wicked in their approach to how they deal with other people. But yeah, it does seem like there is a that just the sheer irrationality of things mm-hmm. has gone up. Things that are, yeah. I mean, it, it, what what we find ourselves doing most frequently is is uh, after all the data comes in, we're still left scratching our head as to motive. Right, right. And, yeah, and it's interesting, you know, when you when you look through the data that Carl Chen collects, as far as they're able to, they try to identify the motive behind the, the shootings or stabbings or poisoning or whatever else uh, occurs in churches. Um, and, you know, looking at this most recent shooting, you know, you can look at it and go, is this domestic spillover? Well, yeah, it kind of sounds like it's that. You know, is it is it some sort of religious bias thing where, he, you know, he's an atheist, they're Christians, he hates Christians. Yeah, it does also sound like that. So sometimes there's a lot of different motives that play into it. You know, was he on psychotropic drugs? Yeah, it really sounds like he was. Um, so, or at least was in the past. I don't know if he was currently, but um, so it just... We won't always know the motive, but um, you know, it's, but it, it, we do live in, in scary times, 
um, and sad times. And I was reading a commentary on Nehemiah chapter 4 today by a man named Alexander McLaren. And he had a very interesting statement. You know, Nehemiah chapter 4 is the chapter that's all about the, uh, the lethal force threat from the enemies of Nehemiah against the wall. And they were going to come in and kill the workers and disrupt the work and put it to an end. And Nehemiah organizes the people, and they arm themselves. And well, it sounds like they were already armed, um, but they were organized by Nehemiah, and they were coordinated in their defense aspects. Um, but anyway, Alexander McLaren had this very interesting statement. He said, God's workers must be prepared for warfare as well as building. There have been epochs in which that necessity was realized in a very sad manner. And that really describes... Um, this last Sunday very well. Last, this last Sunday yesterday shows us in a very sad manner we need to be ready for warfare as well as building. And then he goes on and says, the church on earth will always have to be the church militant, but it is well to remember that building is the end and fighting is but the means. The trowel, not the sword, is the natural instrument. But basically he's saying there are times where you have to have the sword also. You have to be the church militant. And there's times where that point is proven very grimly and very sadly. So churches need to think about this. And, and that's, I've, been, I've been actually working on the topic of church security and studying it as I'm able for about five years uh, and trying to put together materials on that subject. And your brother is an accomplished tactical shooter and marksman, but mm-hmm. also has a lot of contacts in military and law enforcement and other things like yeah. that. So it gives you insight and and, and uh, access sometimes to, I wouldn't say sensitive information, but information that is a little bit more polished and sharpened and refined. And, uh, right. Yeah, so. or, or, or even the stuff that you, it's not in the media, it's not the info that anyone else would normally get access to. You know, like on the topic of church security, you know, this this is interesting, but big churches, they've been big on church security for a while. Um, a, a good chunk of it, I don't want to judge their motives, but a good chunk of it is definitely driven by a desire to limit legal liability. And that is kind of, you know, biblically you should think about how to, how to minimize your liability. So I'm hoping that their you know, true motive is a love for the, your congregation. Um, but the big churches, they're ramping up their church security efforts, and it's, we hear about large churches that have large, well-organized teams, and these aren't mall cop security in many cases. They're guys that have, they're basically building their own little SWAT teams, uh, and they have long guns and body armor, and, um, you know, they're, they're well-equipped, and they are trained, um, probably not to the level of, you know, um, high-level SWAT teams, but, but maybe county SWAT teams or something, maybe that good. What's certainly clear is that with the variety of training programs, facilities around the country, it's pretty clear that people can, can acquire the level of training that they're willing to pay for. It's actually kind of interesting that we've seen from the research I've done and the contacts that Luke has made in the industry, big churches are gearing up, I, I can't speak for all of them, but there's a definite trend there, and it's the small churches um, that we've seen in this, this last shooting yesterday and, and the one in the Nashville area a couple months ago. They're, it's not the big churches that are getting hit, it's the little churches, and there seems to be this fear on the part of little churches to actually coordinate a, a real church security program because it, it seems too extreme. Uh, and they want to be warm and friendly and welcoming. And But the churches, the small churches, seem to be afraid of pulling the trigger, as it were, on getting a, a real serious church security program going uh, because they want to be friendly and welcoming. But what they don't seem to realize is if this keeps going the way it is going, there's going to come a day where people won't want to go to any church except the ones that actually can provide physical security uh, right. to people that come. Yeah, I was in. I was with Matt Trahella uh, at his um, fellowship in Milwaukee the other day, this last Sunday. Mm-hmm. Anybody knows that Matt knows Matt knows that uh, Matt has been at the center of any battle. Matt, you're going to find Matt somewhere near the tip of the spear. 
and whether it's uh, uh, opposing uh, attacks on Christian marriage or um, the ministries for the preborn, missionaries for the preborn, or he's dealing with the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. So it's a very for a small congregation, they're very militant, very involved. It's, uh, to a man, it's probably one of the, you know one of the more uh, more involved small congregations I've ever attended. Uh, you know, in terms of these the percentage of people that are actually have boots on the ground engaged in various different uh, initiatives. And I asked them, I said, who's your, and, and, and this is before we knew about the shooting. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to him before, and I said, uh, just out of curiosity, I, anytime I visit, you know, I always want to let somebody know that, um, that I'm armed. You know, because they don't, the, the people at large don't, maybe the bulk of the people in the congregation don't know me. I'm, I may be friends with the pastor or a couple of the elders, but that doesn't mean that everyone in the congregation knows me. To most, I'm a relative, I might be a relative stranger. And they sometimes, they'll say, oh, you're Bill Evans. And, you know, I'm not that just, I mean, I'm not a celebrity, but I, I so I generally want to let them know, hey, look, I'm, uh, just want to let you know that, you know, I don't know who, who you're, who is, you're, who makes up your security detail, but I, I just want to let you know that I'm armed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's, and he kind of, kind of, well, we have a couple of guys who usually, you know, have, are armed, but I don't know if they're here today. Well, it was clear to me that they didn't really have it really a well worked out strategy. And so as good as you can be on certain things, you only have to drop the ball in that area one time. Uh, and, and certainly if you're active, you're, if you're a congregation that's on the cutting edge of, of these societal issues, these, these trigger issues, right. you're going to be a target at some point. Right. Yeah, if you speak out against sodomy and those statements go public in any way, shape, or form, you're probably going to get death threats. And if you speak out against Islam, you're probably going to get a fatwa. And, and those sorts of things should be taken very seriously. And one thing that I've observed when I've talked about this and written about this on the Internet and, and had conversations, the general response I get from people is, oh, well, we have, we have people in our church that carry guns, and if someone came in, you know, he would die in a hail of bullets, and we don't have anything to worry about. You have these people that think, well, Joe, Bob, carries a handgun, and it's, it's like they actually kind of stop to think about the nature of the potential threat and the scope of those potential threats, what their actual capabilities are as a, as a church and as individuals, and there's a lot of dishonesty that goes around when it comes to shooting. Um, but churches, they, they don't, they, it's like they're not thinking about the, their responsibilities, and so people carry, and they're not proficient. And actually, people that, you know, we have a, in our, we have a guy who's former FBI, and he's on SWAT teams with them and stuff, and, you know, his, one of his big concerns is we have a shooting incident at our church, and people are pulling their guns and, and firing them, and hitting, you know, innocent bystanders, um, other members of the church. And it's, it's, to put yourself in the position where you feel like you're protecting everybody because you have a gun, but you're actually a potential danger to other people is very selfish if you're not willing to get out and train and actually put the time in and, and, and organize and coordinate. And that's one of the interesting things when you look at Nehemiah chapter 4. It appears that the people already had weapons because he talks about setting the people in, in their places with their weapons, their swords, spears, and bows. Right. Um, it appears they were already armed, but... One thing that was needed was coordination um, mm-hmm. and, and planning. And that's what uh, Nehemiah, as the civil magistrate, provided. He didn't arm them, um, and it doesn't even appear that he trained them. But he, did, he didn't coordinate them. Um, and it makes, to, to me, it makes total sense that the church should be taking these sorts of things seriously, even if they're not really concerned about church security. You know, what is the job of the church? Well, it has a number of jobs, but towards the body, they should be equipping those Christians to better fulfill their duties as Christians, right? You know, what are what what are their responsibilities? How can we make them better at these responsibilities? And one of those responsibilities, I believe, typically, is to protect innocent life. And that, you know, goes from, you know, fighting against abortion to fighting against a home invader or a kidnapper or what we're talking about is the positive requirements of the sixth commandment. Right. Positive requirements of the Sixth Commandment demand that we 
do all that is within our power to protect life, not only others, but even ourselves. Of course, that gets into some of the study about turning the other cheek, and is that bodily injury or is that more insult? Some would argue that we, like the, like the Jews of Jesus' day, are a people under occupation, a, a pietistic naivete that says, well, what would Jesus do? And the, the problem with saying what would Jesus do with self-defense is God's purpose for Christ on this earth was for Christ to go to the cross and die to take our sin on him. That was Christ's purpose in life. That's one place where taking Christ's example and trying to apply it to ourselves is actually very flawed because there's a, there's a piece there that doesn't correlate one to one. But you actually brought up a really good point with the persecution thing because when Christians start talking about church security and responding to a guy coming in to kill them because they're Christians or something, there's, there's two theological problems that have to be faced. And the first one is, is it lawful to use lethal force to defend yourself or others, you know, biblical self-defense? And this needs to be handled very uh, maturely and very um, robustly from a from a biblical perspective. And I've seen people your, your, dad, your dad is a good your dad I think has a series of good messages on sermon audio on that topic as well. Yes, yes, he, he has. And I've I've done some messages as well. I'm I actually have just launched a website called uh, Nehemiah4.com or NEH4.com. And I'm going to be putting my messages up on these topics. But you know, first you have to nail down can you defend can you use lethal force under any circumstances as a private individual? That's the, that's the first question. And then the second problem that people run into is, and I've had conversations with people where they're good with self-defense, but not if you're being persecuted. Oh, well, if they're coming after you because you're a Christian, different rules apply. And I looked around. I never found a really good, robust um, answer to that question biblically. So I, I did an um, – well, what I consider to be an extensive study and put together a message uh, on how Christians should respond to persecution. And the best condensed summary of that is there's different kinds of persecution. Um, persecution is basically just that the, the literal meaning is it's that thing that makes you flee. So uh, it, it really is all manner of different kinds of stuff. But we see a definite, uh, different levels of persecution in, in Acts specifically from insults, spitting, slapping, uh, up to serious threats of, of bodily harm and death. And they get responded to differently. It's a, it's a whole study, but basically the best summary in a lot of ways is, is when Paul is stretched out on the thong and the Romans are about to, to scourge him. And this is not like the beating that he had previously. This is a very different scourging. It's probably fatal. And he invokes Roman law. Uh, to defend his life. And um, one of the, uh, which commentary is it? I read a commentary on it. I just had a very simple sentence. that we are, you know, this, this implies that we are allowed to use lawful means to defend our lives. Um, you know, because that's Paul's example. And, um, yeah, including also Paul being let down over the you know, city walls to escape. Yeah. It's really interesting. Paul flees all the time. There's only um, two times where he intentionally tries to go to where there's going to be persecution. Um, and once his friends hold him back, and they won't let him go. And the second time is Jerusalem. And he, he communicates that he's prophetically required to go to Jerusalem, and he goes. And From his uh, from the account in Acts, I do get the impression that he was he was at least one time beaten to the point of being left for dead. Yes. And at least one time, unless he was speaking figuratively of fighting the animals in Ephesus. Now that may have meant, meant those who were who profited from the from the, the idol industry, mm-hmm. or, or it may he may have actually uh, been in a in a in a coliseum environment. We don't I don't know I don't know right. what most commentators think about that. Throughout church history, mm-hmm. there have not just been cases of. Christians, obviously we know more about those cases, the more famous cases of Christians being fed to the lions and being on the receiving end of persecution. But there's also been those cases of of self-defense where, uh, for instance, uh, the Boers, South Africa, the the Huguenots, 
response and surrounding, the, obviously, the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. Also, the Cameronians the, during the killing mm-hmm. times in Scotland had armed riders positioned around their conventicles in the hills mm-hmm. to protect against the king's dragoons. God calls his people to his judgment and to... In, in, in different cases, I mean, it's not it's not a one size fits all response. Right. Uh, some sometimes you sometimes you go to the stake and sometimes you go to the sword. Much of this violence and this this criminal behavior is not necessarily and directly persecution. Some of it's just criminal behavior. Some of it's just insanity. Yeah. Some of it is just some of it is demonic. Some of it is, right. you know, uh, just uh, domestic. Or there are other causes, and that goes back to the question of, of motive. I know um, we were talking about. We've had some conversations about whether or not Christians should be armed who are ministering, let's say, doing street preaching or work, or doing um, abortion right. mill ministry or things that are, are public agitation. And it does seem, mm-hmm. it, it does seem like in some of those settings where God's enemies are looking for anything to uh, use against us. Then that, at that point, especially when you're ministering with other Christians like that, the idea of carrying, legally carrying even weapons, mm-hmm. is perhaps something that could be foregone for the sake of conscience uh, of, of the weaker brother and our a good conscience mm-hmm. and are committing yourself to God. But but I have other cases where I've got a brother. Uh, who who regularly goes down into South Chicago on Friday nights and preaches, mm-hmm. does street preaching. And I, it really was a gut check for me when I, he asked me, do you want to come down here? Because I really had to ask myself, do, do I am I inclined to to go down into an area like this? It's not that I don't believe that God is, is able to protect me, or that I don't believe he's sovereign, or that I'm afraid of dying. Is it just, does it, does it seem... Uh, he goes down week in and week out, and uh, uh, Matthew Worsema, I love this man. He's a faithful brother. He's a warrior in Christ, and, and I'll give him a shout-out. He feels called to go down there with no visible means of protection. Right. <laughs> he has an invisible means of protection. But, but does that mean that anyone who does not feel so called is somehow being disobedient or grieving the Holy Spirit? Right. Yeah, that's it. That, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of uh, wisdom application where you can you can evaluate different circumstances. You can say, okay, in this case, not a good idea. You know, or if you knew that there really was no there was no real risk of a lethal threat. Um, in Slack, yes, uh, getting persecuted maybe by the local government and arrested, yes, um, but not killed. Uh, you know. Or it would be different. And here's the other place where I think it gets very different. So we have, I as a husband and a father and as a brother in Christ um, and as a deacon, I have many different hats I have, sort of. Um, and uh, I have different responsibilities to different people. And I have a very high responsibility to protect my wife and my children and my brothers and sisters in Christ. But what if it was just me? I think I would have a lot more liberty to risk my own life. But when it's the lives of your children and your, your wife, then I think that you, you now start to have conflicting – you have to figure out how to work through that. Let's get into some tactical stuff here. I've never had to shoot anyone, and I, I hope I never do, I, because I have a sense whether you're right or wrong, whether your motives are pure or not, it will change your life. It's going to turn your world upside down because – just the litigation and the, and the criminal prosecution and all the various right. different investigations, your life will never be the same. No, I've, I've heard it said, figure 100 grand per bullet you fire in water cost. So whether you're right or wrong or whatever, it's, it's going to be very, very expensive. And the more shooting happens, the more expensive it's probably going to be. Now, you know, if it's a... I imagine the, the good shooter in Texas who, who actually shot and, and stopped the the murderer, I'm guessing he's gonna get a no bill from the Texas grand jury or held you know. This was the neighbor who came out with a with a long gun. 
with an AR-15. And, and and probably wounded the guy. He and he bled yeah. out, and either took he hit him twice. Yeah, he shot twice. Once in the leg. Um, this is the current data that's available, or the current reports that are available. Um, current information reports that we're hearing is that the, the murderer was, was shot twice. Once in the leg, once in the chest. At which point he fled the scene, and the uh, the good guy, the neighbor, and another local gave chase, which is actually it's really interesting because what they did goes against almost all the conventional wisdom on active shooter situations. You know, as a as a bystander, don't get involved is you know, the conventional wisdom because when the cops get get there they'll shoot you and stuff. And you know that all the law enforcement, the responders were all headed to the church. Right. And and this guy was headed away and they gave chase and basically are the ones that led the uh, police to the, the the guy who had expired probably whether he offed himself right before he bled out or whatever. So that was obviously someone, two people loving their neighbors. The guy exactly. who came out, the guy who came out with the with the AR platform and and took on the the criminal was was the one who was loving his neighbor. Yeah, and I, and I found it so interesting in one of these. You know, secular news articles. I don't know if they did this on purpose or, you know, but they called him the Good Samaritan. Like the Good Samaritan shot the guy. And I'm like, that's really that's interesting. Because because they're, they're borrowing our worldview all the time. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. When you have a guy that is, that is completely abandoned the restraints of God's law and is now in the process of murdering as many people as he can, waiting for law enforcement to show up is simply not viable. The response time is just too high. Anyone that advocates waiting for law enforcement is advocating a really large death toll. But when after church in Texas had done, I wouldn't assume they did, you know, it was such a small church that they may have, just, just based on statistics and percentages of how many people have carry permits, they may have had one or two people with guts, but they might have gotten shot first. We had a post today, we talked about open carry versus seal carry. Yeah. <clears throat> Whatever you do, I think the, the watchword is practice, practice, practice. A lot of Lucas's in his videos spot on when they talking about more rounds yeah. down range instead of fancy schmancy accoutrements. Yeah, exactly. You know, I I remember when I first started shooting, I had a Glock and 40 caliber, and I, I couldn't shoot it well at all, and I wanted to blame everything about it except me. Like, well, the sights aren't good, and I don't you know, like the trigger and stuff. And, <laughs> you know, with, with time and practice and enough rounds, you get to the point well, in my case, I actually switched from, from 40 to 9, which made it a lot easier to shoot accurately because the 40 is a pretty sharply coiling weapon, yeah. um, especially for novices. But, um, you know, there's there's people that it's like they don't understand or they, they have a very limited grasp of what's required to be combat effective with a weapon. Um, and they think they bought a gun, they have a box of shells, yeah. They shot it a couple of years ago. They're they're all set. Yeah, owning and, a gun uh, doesn't make you a shooter any more than owning a surfboard makes you a surfer. Right, exactly. I, I've got a, I've got a, I've got. In fact, I, I was going to ask you about your range about when it opens. I've got a I've got a a Sig P320. I haven't broken in yet, mm -hmm. and I, I'd like to. I, I would like to get out there and and and, uh, and of course I've got some good friends that are expert. Instructors Jack Campbell over there in Pendleton, South Carolina. I give him a shout out, and uh, Pastor John Weaver mm -hmm. down in South Georgia. Jack likes to carry his Kimbers, his big bores, but John mm -hmm. is a shot placement guy. He said nine's fine if you shot placement spot on. Right. You yeah. know, if you hit him. In, I, I was going to wonder is should church security have a long gun? Oh yeah. Uh, unless you have mass, unless you have masterful shot placement. Placement. Where because most in most of these cases aren't these guys wearing armor of some sort? Uh, it, it's happening more frequently it seems, and that's not surprising. You can go on eBay and you can pick up soft armor for a hundred bucks. That may not be it may not be 
it's definitely not going to be a warranty, and it may not be good, but it, it may still well be armor. The other thing is the media often misreports. You know, they hear about a guy wearing a vest, a tactical vest, which could be nothing more than really crummy load-bearing gear. You know, maybe it's made out of ballistic nylon, but it's not. It has no, you know, ballistic right. properties. For well, I would, I would like to see. I would like to see T-Rex arms uh, shoot a couple of mags of that of that uh, Liberty Arms Civil Defense and see what Lucas thinks about it, or yourself. Yeah. Because yeah, what, I would, what I've seen is pretty impressive. Right. I saw some – I went – after you mentioned it, I went and looked it up. For, the, for those listening who didn't see the Facebook discussion, it's a uh, – it's like a 50-grain 9mm uh, round, which is very light, and because it's very light, it's, it's very fast, about 2,100 feet per second. The question is, is it effective uh, in – Tissue, and for those of you that don't know, the way that's commonly used for testing that is in a, in a ballistic gelatin or in different countries, ballistic soap is used, or clay, uh, or water, or other intermediate substances. But uh, it, the real issue is, is it still effective after going through Kevlar? And I've not seen that tested. I looked around, I couldn't find anything on that. So if I was going to shoot it to test, I would want gel behind. Uh, I, I used Kevlar vest, and actually yeah, that was that was that was your uh, comment, and that's and that's yeah. why I, what, what what prompted my question about should a church strategy include a long gun? And the other the other thing that's, that's a really big one is so the, the pulse no, not the pulse shooting the uh, Vegas shooting um, with the more of the long range sniper approach, and that's nothing new, but it is new in modern times, and it is new in the in the uh, in, in the, the thought process of modern active shooters, you know, they're not gonna, most active shooters probably won't know about, or they won't remember the uh, you know the UT shooting in the what was it, 60s. That's not going Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. But um, I'm guessing that we're going to start seeing more um, long-range mass shootings, which are actually going to be very deadly. Um, and the other thing that no church seems to wrap their brain around that I've seen yet is they think. You know, church, church security protocol, you know, okay, a bad guy comes with close and lock the doors, and if he tries to come, we'll shoot him. But almost always, um, almost inevitably, there's someone outside the church. Um, if, a, if a shooter shows up outside, you can't hunker down inside. You have to move to the threat. And if you have to move to the threat, and he has a long gun, and you only have a handgun, boy, that's a really bad day. And so, if nothing else, churches have a couple of long guns at the church. That, that sounds crazy, but that's the reality of the world we're living in. See, that's where you, that's where people are going to label you a security kook. They're going to say, but they don't understand the nature that the purpose of the handgun is to get yourself, is to get to your long gun. Right. And, and what we need to do, and I, I actually haven't ever been part of this in, in any formal way, just informal, is to enforce on force training what people are going to, going to actually Hit handguns against rifles in real life scenarios and discover wow, uh, a handgun really it is really hard to take on a a, a rifle equipped shooter from a distance. Um, you know, if you're being shot at by a guy with a rifle, he's 100 yards away behind cover, and you only have a handgun. Those are really bad odds. There was a um, there was a bank shooting in uh, no there was a shooting at a courthouse a number of years ago in Texas. And because it was at a courthouse, there's a lot of security camera footage. And a, a, a guy showed up for his divorce, and they shot his wife. And then he proceeded to shoot up this courthouse. And, and there's this very haunting footage of a number of security guards at the courthouse trying to shoot him. And in the Bank of America heist mm-hmm. in Los, in Los yeah. Angeles, is, of course, that's famous for that. That's, and that supposedly right. served as the justification so much of the militarization of of law enforcement now because they were up against guys with military-grade weapons. Now, there is always that one in a million, like uh, Charles Van Vec at the St. James Massacre, where a guy was able to return fire against AK-47s and, and, and homemade hand grenades with a right. an, an ankle uh, an ankle gun, basically a thirty-eight right. uh, uh, snub nose, and it was... It was literally one shot in a million that probably grazed the guy and was just enough of a pushback to startle them, and uh, that was really an act of God. So don't use that as your don't you don't use that as your model for church defense. Uh, Charles 
is an amazing story of of, of God's right. providence, but yeah. certainly not 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 tactical. And, the, the, uh, yeah, the exception does not prove the rule. <laughs> so, but, uh, so uh, uh, practice, practice, practice. What can you, what else can you tell our our, our listeners, David, as we're trying to just well, one thing I'd say is uh, practice for to some standard. Um, lots of guys go out and shoot, and they may they may shoot fairly large round counts, but um, you need to go find some some performance standards to haha, shoot. Um, what I'm hoping to do with our church is use the FBI hand in qualification and try to get everybody to carry the, a gun in church to pass that. Well, everybody doesn't have an FBI agent, a former FBI agent in their congregation, but that's probably a pretty good standard. You know, as I've been studying this and thinking about it, one of the problems we, we have to face and overcome is the fact that the church, by and large, is just ex- extraordinarily ignorant uh, when it comes to violence and warfare and things like that. And, you know, most Christians, everything they know about um, violence or warfare or weapons, they've learned from Hollywood or the public school system. And so effectively, they're ignorant, um, except it's the worst kind of ignorance because it, it, they know things that are false. And so they need to go and put in a concerted effort to study uh, good materials on the way violent encounters actually go down. Uh, they need to actually learn about weapons, and they need to develop high standards for weapons proficiency and not be satisfied with, well, I, you know, on a square range, I've made a, a nice tight group on my eighth try, and I'll say my best group is how good I am, and I won't shoot again for another couple of years, and, and that's that's not acceptable. And it's well, you know, and the that, thing about mm-hmm. the thing about it is, though, David. Now, do you have a chance? If you had a chance to practice uh, where simulation, you're it's simulating that you're being shot back at. Uh, just a little bit. The force on force training. I've never done it with the munitions, uh, just with airsoft. But we were we were doing it as uh, as a, an actual force, not a game, but a force on force. That that's. I mean, obviously, that is the. That is the real seems like that's the acid test is you know how do you perform when you're under stress, right? And uh, and and what's what's interesting too, and it, I think you are I think you're the perfect guy to to talk to about this because you you are not if someone were to meet you, you're not a big rootin' tootin' uh, chest thumping uh, uh, bruiser of a guy. You're a thoughtful and, and contemplative, scholarly kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, you're a thinker, first and foremost. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm not one of these, these big, burly linebacker types that are super fit and stuff. I think we want to speak also to the idea of preparedness in general as post-millennialists, not as pietists who are seeking to get into our holy huddle and, and, and block off the world and, and get behind our barriers in a fortress mentality hunkered in our bunker, but... Uh, as people who are in a position to serve and love our neighbors in right. whatever whatever exigency of life that the providence of God sends our way, whether that be whether that be a criminal, whether that be a a a, a group of criminals, or a an end of life as we know it type uh, experience, or just natural disaster and mm-hmm. the events of life that we that no one knows what tomorrow we bring. Uh, the right. body of Christ as being, you know, we think of first responders. You know, right. you think of a, you think of a. Frankly, I'm I'm more fond of firefighters than I am of police officers, because <laughs> firefighters aren't looking for problems; they're just there to respond. But you know, when you when you you imagine that if a fire truck rolls up on the scene of an emergency, anything that's needed, that fire truck is going to have on it. Now, that, whether whether that's true or not. That is our perception that when the firefighter, when the fire department gets there, um, you know, listen, you, ha- you get blue lights behind you, and it's a, it, and it's, a, and it's a, a police. Sometimes you have feelings of unease and misgivings, but if it's a fire truck, you know the good guys are on the way somewhere to help somebody. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 it seems to me that the church, the body of Christ, ought to be sort of the social equivalent to the fire department. Right, what or even maybe involved in those exact same sort of things. Because I'm actually a volunteer firefighter. 
I'm not a very good one, um, and I haven't done it for very long. Um, but um, what I've observed is that sort of responding to local community needs uh, is exactly what churches should be doing. And, and whether it's actually organized, you know, you're doing it more in like this firefighting type capacity or, or not is not really the point. But the, the point is, you know, the Christ gives example of the good Samaritan, the neighborly Samaritan, uh, as being someone who comes to someone on the very worst day of their life, takes the time and money out of their time mm-hmm. schedule and, and bank account to care for others. And the interesting thing is, in America, you know, 70% of firefighters are volunteers. And I didn't know that until I became one, discovered actually it's the, the, the significant minority that are actually paid. Um, you know, churches could very easily get involved in this. You know, in our county, we have one entity that does countywide firefighting, and it's a it's a non-government volunteer entity. You know, it's, it's not even volunteer government. It's it's completely private. Yeah. Um, uh, listen, I wish law enforcement would take a page out of the the firefighters' playbook. Yeah, I, I mean, in my personal, what I would generally advocate for is um, volunteer law enforcement under a sheriff. But wouldn't it be great, though, David, if you had a tragedy and people said, oh, thank God the people from Christ the King are here? Right. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's what we'd like to work towards. We want to be a real asset. And But here's, here's the interesting thing. So our little tiny volunteer fire department, it, it gets, I think, $15,000 a year from the county, and the rest it raises from from private donations. And it runs on, I don't actually have the, the figures, but it's, it's probably between one and $200,000 a year. You know, actually, it wouldn't be that hard for all the churches in a county to band together, chip in five to ten thousand bucks apiece, and the churches could actually fund firefighting or an ambulance service or whatever. It, it, it's actually completely within the, the realm of possibility. And, it, and if you actually back up and you think, okay, so let's let's just speculate for a second that that you know or assume that the uh, the church really is a replacement for the Levitical order and 10% really should be going to the church. You know, the, the complete Levite tithe goes to the church. Right. You know, churches really don't have that much stuff to spend their money on if they're not trying to build a few benefits. Yeah, the simple model is what sucks up the money. Sure, churches can find ways to spend money, but if, if the church is actually receiving 10%, you know, they should have a lot of money that they could be putting towards community stuff. And, and actually, yeah. what where we're going with this, though, is that the body of Christ needs to be in a position, and they need to be in an inner, and they don't get in this position by accident. They get in it by thoughtful planning yeah. and taking, taking, you know, deliberate steps to be in a position to be the Good Samaritan even right. when they're not the ones that bad things are happening to. Correct. And we're actually, we're, we are making steps in that direction. I, I, the hurricanes were a good wake-up call for us because we didn't really have anything significant we could send um, anywhere to help people out. And, and, and um, so we're trying to work on putting together some sort of disaster response capability. And... Uh, by the way, are you, are you just as an aside? You know, you know the Doors. Are you friends with the Doors? Yeah, Paul Doors and his sons. You ought to get to know them. This is a tactical family. These these guys are thinkers. They position themselves at the city gates of the crossroads, very much like you and your dad's uh, operational mentality has has trained you guys to be. And that is, his sons not only are involved in creating alternatives to NRA and GOA and things at their state levels, and they're mm-hmm. very much behind the scenes in in trying to affect and influence uh, the halls of justice and government, but also during the hurricanes uh, had the wherewithal to send crews down into the affected areas. This is a family that the Botkin family would do well to form a strategic alliance with. These guys are really on the cutting edge when it comes to being in the halls of power and uh, throwing their weight around in a good way. Yesterday when I when I saw the news from the church, 
in Texas, I, I literally wept. I went, you know, I went on, I, I found the YouTube of their services. And, you know, they have differences from us, sure. But if you understand, these are people that Jesus Christ loves and loved enough to die on the cross for. And they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. How well, you know, you're, you're, a better man, you're a better man than me because I haven't cried for him. And that probably says something about where I'm at. But I think for most of us, it's just another... It's just another story in the in in the uh, in the stream of of consciousness overload. Oh, I know. Uh, I I totally agree. It's our our emotions and our senses have been deadened by the just all the stuff that happened. Um, you know, it's so. I guess a takeaway from this is um, Christians just need to really really study scripture and evaluate where they are and what their responsibilities in the eyes of God are. And and with so many, there's an inconsistency. And what they're what they're actually doing is they're acting like status, or, or they're actually proving that they're de facto status, because they're refusing to take the responsibility to provide the security for their families and, and churches that should be their responsibility. So even the government says it's not their, just their job to actually protect your life. You know, they'll, exactly. they'll, they'll generally give a best effort, but it's not actually a legal obligation they have or a moral obligation. You know, that's ours. But what happens is people, they prove by doing nothing that they either are being irresponsible or that they actually believe and trust the government will take care of them. And they're proving that their status. And this, you know, when, when Israel wanted a king, it's very interesting to see what's recorded about their, their reasoning. And what they said in First Samuel, in chapter 8, I believe it was, they said they, they want a king to judge them and to go out and fight their battles for them. Plenty of people that condemn statism, but then they don't take any meaningful steps. Or they say, you know, this, this, we shouldn't have a, a standing army, but then they won't train and equip themselves to take that role on themselves. It's like saying, I, I'm opposed to welfare, but then they don't go and do the poor ties. They, they don't actually take that responsibility back on themselves. And, and that's, yeah. at the root of statism, it's handing over lots of responsibility to the state. Um, yeah, and, and listen, get rid of it yourself. I'm not a big proponent. In fact, I'm no proponent whatsoever of mm-hmm. the whole support the blue line. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, by the providence of God, these men have been given power. The ecclesiastical powers want to be able to, to positively influence the other spheres of Christ's dominion i.e. civil government, you want to be able to have dialogue with these people. You want them to to want to talk with you and to value your your input and your wisdom and your insight. And so that means evangelism yeah. to your law enforcement, to your civil magistrates on every level. We want to be reaching out to them and probing and looking for active Holy Spirit-given opportunities to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and to present God's law as the only solution to every human problem. You gotta build these bridges and those may also those may also come in handy at some point in time. When you're in a time of trouble, it's not a bad thing to have good friends in among the first responders. That when it comes to allocating blame and our sorting out saying, well who's who and who's responsible and who's the good guys and who's the bad guys you want to have allies in high places. We look at the, this, this shooting, we see you know, the number 27 dead. And, you know, in, in all likelihood, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if the af- in the aftermath of the shooting, a number of the first responders uh, in, in the decades to come don't commit suicide because they, there's a large number of people that go in to pick up the pieces and they have to try to make sense out of this. A number of years ago, I responded to a car wreck that involved a homeschool family, and it, it made no sense uh, why this happened, and it wasn't their fault. And uh, a car, you know, a vehicle from the other side of the highway came and hit them head on. Um, and, uh, you know, I, as a Christian or a foreign Christian, believe in a sovereign God and a, and a God who has a purpose for his, his people and he's a loving God. That really. That created about a, a week or two that was really hard for me. 
Um, and here we have a bunch of guys that are and women that are that they may not be Christians, and they're looking at you know it. This is much worse because this was a malicious act. It wasn't just negligence or something, but someone meant to murder these people. How are pagans processing these facts? And what kind of need is there being created in these hearts to discover a loving God and, and a God they can put their, their trust in? So there's there's a lot of opportunities, and I would just wish we as the church can figure out ways to meet those, take advantage of them. And, and Pastor didn't didn't strike me as being a profoundly articulate, theologically minded guy, but what he said was, you know, whatever whatever the situation that life gives you, you press into Christ. Right. And, you know, and for certain people, that's going to be a redemptive moment. They're going to hear mm-hmm. that, and they're going to be influenced. Right. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit will use that. And the fact is, is that a person whose life, you know, they may they may reach more, it may impact more lives in their death than they ever did in their life. Yeah. But be that as it may, our response is to, is to act, not react. That's actually really a good takeaway from this. There will be churches that are going to be trying to react and implement church security something out of fear. Um, don't don't do that. Uh, that's just going to lead to all manner of problems. Um, don't react, but evaluate scripture, see what your responsibilities are, and and act based on that, and, and do so in faith, not in fear. Appreciate you taking some time coming from your uh, holy hollow. In uh, West Central Tennessee. From my old room to yours. Now that you've got a shooting range, I'm waiting for you to put in a truck stop. Give give my undying regard to your dad. I love your dad. He's what a what a what a man he is and and your mom, what a what a champion. Folks, if you're ever in the middle Tennessee area and you have a chance to worship with uh reach out to them and uh and uh, they'll they'll give you directions into their undisclosed location. Listen, I hope this has been quality listening for believers. We're talking about real life issues here. We're not talking about pietistic drivel. And love you. And uh, thank y'all for joining us here on the War Room. Thank you for joining us in the War Room. Please enjoy the nation's rage, Psalm Two, by my soul among lions. Oh, God.